0: The book of Acts chapter 1, you guys, we're going to be starting in verse 6. But before we jump into that, I just want to think for just a second about what we've looked at. Remember, two weeks ago is when we started the book of Acts, and we looked at just these first five verses. And we saw in those first five verses that this second book of Luke is an historical account of the beginning of the church. That's the point of this book. Just like the gospel of Luke was a historical account from eyewitnesses, not him, he wasn't an eyewitness, but from other eyewitnesses of what happened and the things that Jesus said, this second book to this guy named Theophilus, right, which many many historians, many scholars believe and I tend to believe that was probably his slave owner, this wealthy Jewish man that let him free to go and do this work, right, as a doctor, he started, he kept writing. He was just like, yeah, Theophilus, let me talk about this. Let me talk about the crazy stuff that God did after Jesus left. And that's what we're reading here, you guys. And Jesus, we read in the first part of Acts, promised the Holy Spirit. And we read that much of the book Much of the entirety of this book, you guys, is hyper-focused on the Holy Spirit. If I were to give Acts a subtitle, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. I would probably instead name it the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, right? Because the Apostles were just a bunch of jokers. Peter didn't change his stripes suddenly. Peter was still an idiot. Come on, y'all. I say amen to that. I'm thankful for Peter in the Bible. Paul didn't change from Saul to Paul without the power of the Spirit. He was a loser, too. In in a lot of ways, I would say he's a bigger loser. He had more education and more knowledge and more everything that, you know, is valued very highly here in in the New England area. (laughs) And yet he was a bigger loser because at least the loser Peter that didn't know much of anything knew that Jesus was Lord. Mm -hmm. Paul didn't get that. Well, Saul didn't get that. Guys, it's guys, con- it's a continuation from what Luke wrote. But can I just say, it's continuing today. Nothing's changed. The Holy Spirit hasn't changed. Guys, we are the Acts 29 church. If you don't get that reference, flip to the end of the book of Acts and you'll realize there's only 28 chapters. We're the continuation. We are still in this church age, you guys. And there's so much for us to learn from this book of Acts. So let's dig in. Verse 6 says this. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him. Remember, you guys, they are on the mount, right? They're up on the mountain. Jesus had drawn the 11 disciples up. They're up there. They're hanging out with Jesus. And so now they've got these really amazing and important questions. So I'm going to start over. 6 it says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But you will receive power. You guys, at the end of these 40 days that Jesus had been hanging out with them, Walking and talking and teaching and eating and just hanging out with them. This wasn't some ghost story. I've heard that before. Like, well, probably, you know, I believe in ghosts and I've seen other ghosts. So maybe Jesus was just a ghost. Maybe he just came back in spirit form and walked around. Ghosts don't eat. Ghosts don't just hang out, do they? No. No. If you ever watch anything, any scary movies or anything, I grew up on that stuff, right? How do you get to talk to ghosts? You got to get to a Ouija board or you got to get to some other medium to get there. You've got to bring in a medium. You've got to bring something there. Why? Because to be honest, we're not supposed to touch them. We're not supposed to mess with demons. We're not supposed to do those things. And ghosts are not ghosts. They're demonic. You guys, I lived in Okinawa for four years. I saw ghosts. I don't believe they were ghosts. The main religion of Okinawa, Japan, is Shintoism, the worship of their ancestors. Of course demons are not stupid. I'm Uncle Joe. I don't know anybody on Okinawa, Japan that was named (laughs) Joe, but there you go. Right? And so they would just randomly have, you would see things that you're like, well, that's unexplainable. But it wasn't unexplainable. As a Christian, I'm like, that's demonic. That's not right. That wasn't what Jesus was doing. Jesus was in the flesh, right? Jesus was resurrected, so he was really different. Guys, if you ever want to do an amazing study, if you want to know what our resurrected bodies are like, you can get some possible clues from what Jesus could do, man. He was like he could just appear in rooms. I can't wait to get to heaven. Hi, John! Hey, Steve! How are you? I'm just going to be like, bah, 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 for like the first couple of thousand years. <laughs> It's going to be awesome. <laughs> oh, Amy, you didn't even know. I wait for you to be doing something just totally in your zone. Like, Hi, hey, Amy, how are you? <laughs> you guys, he was talking to them. He was teaching them. He was continuing to, to disciple them. He was continuing to grow them. You guys, this was not some ghost story. This was really Jesus in the flesh, resurrected, Something he did on his own. There's a difference between resurrection and being risen from the dead, right? Lazarus rose. What, means, what was the meaning of that? I don't know. To me, if I were Lazarus, I would have been like, bro, for real? I got to die again. <laughs> bro, you, you stayed away for four days. I was dead. Uh, I liked it. Abraham's bosom and all, you know? I was good. I don't need to come back. No, I don't think Lazarus was like that. But my point is, what's the difference? Jesus came back and he lives eternally. And by the way, he did it on his own. Nobody called him out. He did it. The Holy Spirit did it in him. And he did it with many, many people. Many, many people. We read about that, right? Over 500 people at one time saw him. 500 men, who knows how many women and children. And that was just one time. In 40 days, I could imagine that a, at least a couple thousand people maybe have, saw him walking around, right? This was something that was not easily hidden. And we're not even touching what happened the moment he died. You guys remember that? The first zombie apocalypse? People coming up out of their graves, walking back in and be like, oh, it's a nice temple, pretty sweet. You guys remember that? Mm-hmm. If you don't, go back and read it. It's in the end of Matthew. It's crazy what God did. God made it abundantly clear this guy's different. Yeah. This guy is the Messiah. This guy is who he says he is. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's up there with these 11 disciples, right? That Judas was off the scene already. He had taken care of himself. He hung himself. He was up there with them, and they asked this really telling question. They're like, Lord is this the time that you're gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? Remember what we had talked about all the way through the book of Matthew. Remember what we talked about even through the book of Romans, a little bit we touched upon it. This idea that to the Jews, the reason that Jesus wasn't readily accepted as the Messiah is because they're like the Messiah in their estimation was gonna come in and wipe everybody off the map and make them the center of the entire universe of leadership. That was the way it was gonna be. Rome was gonna be gone. Babylon, which was not really much of a thing at that point, definitely was never coming back to take them over. Assyria wasn't coming back, which, by the way, they were off the scene at the time. Do you get my point? They were going to be the head honchos. That was the way they thought about it. And that's why many of them didn't accept it. And we see here the disciples even had a hard time with it. That's why when Jesus so plainly said, okay, yo, guys, here's the deal. I'm going to die. And in three days, I'm coming back. They're like, uh, right? That's when Peter was like, stop talking that way. And that's when Jesus was like, Get behind me, Satan. Right? Because Peter was rebuking him again. I love Peter. But you guys, they asked this question. And I want you to notice some things. Do we read here that Jesus was like, Stop asking stupid questions? (laughs) Do we see Jesus saying that? No. No, we don't. Can I say something? They have very good reason for saying and asking this question, you guys. Flip over with me to the book of Zechariah. It's a few books to the left. Not many. Two books into the Old Testament. If you see Malachi, go one more, you got Zechariah. Not Zephaniah, Zechariah. Chapter 14, you guys, right near the end of the book. Old Testament prophet that was writing about something, you guys, that has not happened yet. So they had a good reason to ask this question. Let's read. Chapter 14 of Zechariah, verse 1 says this. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. Had that happened yet? It hadn't, but can you understand as big as the Roman Empire was why maybe the Jews maybe would have thought this? Mm. That maybe this was the moment? It wasn't. I think it's going to be worse and even bigger than what they had imagined. But this is what it says here. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. They're going to just keep, stay in there. And then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. And on that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mountain mount shall move northward and the other half Southward, this is going to be the earthquake of earthquakes in Jerusalem, and you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azel, and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah. And then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. And on that day, you there shall be no light, cold or frost, and there shall be a in it. Uh, sorry, verse seven, and there shall be a unique day, which is known to the Lord neither day nor night, but at evening time, there shall be light. On that day, living water shall flow out from Jerusalem, half from the Eastern sea and half from the Western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. And the Lord will be King over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. Amen. Amen. You guys, I don't want to dig too deep into this, but where are they going to flee? I think Petra. That's what I personally think, and a lot of scholars are with me on that, right? I'm not alone in that idea. Petra's not very far across the Jordanian border. I think this is what's going to happen at the end of days, at the end of the seven years of tribulation. I think this is how this is going to go down. Personally, I believe we're going to be those holy ones that are coming back with them. That's what I see. Has this happened yet? No, if if anybody that comes to Jerusalem with us, you guys, if the Lord continues to tarry, when we get over there, the Mount of Olives is not going to be split in two. There's not going to be water running between it. There's not going to be some massive earthquake. Now, listen, for real, it's kind of on my bucket list while I'm in this particular flesh suit, so I want to get over to Jerusalem, but I'll take it if Jesus comes back. I'm down with that even more. But I'm excited to go over there. But you guys... There's real precedence for what they're aiming at, what the question's aiming at. Do you understand? I'm trying to make it clear to you guys that this question isn't a bad question. It's just that they had such short-sighted views of it. Right? If you want to read more about all the battle and all the stuff that's going to happen, I encourage you guys go to Roman, or I'm sorry, Revelation 19. The book of Revelation, chapter 19, dude, it is hardcore. If you read the rest of the chapter in Zacharias, it talks about how, like, I think they kind of go together, where the sword of Jesus' mouth is going to come out, and then it says in Zechariah that he's going to like give them this, like, flesh-eating disease thing, and it's going to be—they're going to be like crumbled, they're going to just rot right there where they stand. It's going to be pretty crazy. I don't want to be a part of that. Do you? So. We see that they were not wrong in asking the question, but I love how Jesus answered the question, you guys. Verse 7, back in first chapter of Acts, he says, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He's like, man, it's not your problem. Don't worry about when it's going to happen. That's not the point here. It will happen. God is sovereign. We have no doubt about it. It will happen. And I, I, I want you to hear this. If you're here today and you're still kind of like, eh, I don't know if I believe in this whole Jesus thing. Well, you can not believe in him. He still believes in you. He still loves you. And this is still happening. It's as idiotic to me as being in the midst of a car wreck heading at a very fast space or very fast speed towards a tree and saying, well, I'm not going to hit the tree. I'm not going to hit the tree. Yeah, you're hitting the tree. Whether you like it or not, deal with it. Get ready. Prepare yourself right? That's the time we're in now. Preparation, church. Are you letting people know that they're getting ready to hit a tree? We're going to talk more about that today. I love that he adds a but. You see that? Verse eight starts with this, but. So he kind of scolds them a bit, In a sense, he's like, man, it's not for you to worry about. God's got it. You stop worrying about when the kingdom's coming. Let that, it's going to be handled. Don't worry about it. But you will receive power. You will receive dunamis is the Greek word there. It's where we get the word dynamite. You're going to get something that's so explosive that it's going to blow right out of your body. It's going to make it to where you cannot hold it in. You guys, we need that. We don't have that. Do we? There may be a few of us here that do. But I would say, overarchingly, and listen, guys, I love you. I'm not coming against the whole New England area. But man, I've lived a lot of places in this world, and holy cow, the pride. Holy cow, the sense of like, well, I've got to maintain my certain blah, 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 blah. You, man, you guys are more British than the British. <laughs> get over yourself. Walk in the power of the Spirit. Watch what God does. You want to see another Jesus revolution? you got to get over yourself first. The same power is available to us as it was to them, you guys. The Holy Spirit hasn't changed. He's no less dunamis. He's no less explosive. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You guys, he's like, you guys are going to be witnesses to the whole world and I need you guys to hear this. Do you know what the Greek word for witness is? It's martus. It's where we get the word martyr. Now, the word martyr, I need you to hear this. I'm not trying to like put more weight on this word at this point in history than there was. It means witnesses. That's what it means. What, did it, what does martyr mean now? Someone that dies. It meant that then. Do you understand? It meant that then, but we've put more weight on that word than there was, right? We've, we've gravitated or put attached to that word only death. But the reality is, you guys, we are all called to be martyrs every day, aren't we? I'm not just talking about physical death. I need us to let this sink in, you guys. If you're here today and you've accepted the fact that Jesus died on the cross for you, to forgive you of all your sins, if you've accepted in faith that you can repent for your sins, that you can literally put all of that garbage and nonsense past present, and future on Jesus and walk in the freedom of God's grace, if you've done all of that, you guys, if you understand that he saved you from hell, can we just stop for a minute and keep in mind that Jesus wasn't just talking to these 11 disciples, he was talking to us. And I gotta say something, I've said it before. I think being martyred in the sense that we understand it, just being killed is actually a much easier way to go than living every day and dying to yourself. That's harder. That's a lot harder, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Killing the old man, killing your flesh. Dude, that is hard. Getting your head chopped off, man, you don't even have to lift a finger, literally. (laughs) And in a couple seconds, you won't ever lift a finger. You're fine. Do you get it? It really is different, isn't it? We look at people like Jim Elliott, who did amazing things. And more importantly, I think, Elizabeth Elliott, who did the harder thing and died to herself enough to say, these people still need Jesus even after they brutally, brutally murdered my husband and sent him flying down the river. We talk a lot about Jim Elliott. We don't, I don't think, talk as much about Elizabeth. And I think Elizabeth... God used her in some far greater ways. Now, in, in God's economy, they're both the same. I'm not trying to rank them. But do you understand what I'm getting at? You guys, dying to self and living for Christ, let's not minimize the call that God's put on, my li- on our lives, you guys. If you were here last week, we heard from our brother and sister in Pakistan, Dave and Sarah, Right? And you heard Dave talk, man, and you guys, his story is brutal. He was a leader over four members of a team that were out basically covertly preaching the gospel of Christ. Three of the four died. One was standing right beside him when a bullet went through the back of his head. And David ran for good reason. he came here to America. And then while he was here, you guys, can I just say something? He could have stayed comfortable. I want you to ask in your heart if God said, you know what? Go back. How many of us really would? It's a big ask. And yet that's exactly what God called him to. And I loved what he preached last week, man. God's call is never comfortable. New Englanders, we are far too good at being comfortable. Mm -hmm. Far too good at it. How seriously, you guys, do we take the faith that we're saying we have for Christ? How seriously do we take it? There are people in this room right now, I know for a fact, that don't yet know Christ. They're watching. They're looking. I'm so thankful they keep showing up week after week. We got kids up in kids ministry. We got some kids that are just getting old enough to be down here. They're watching. Mom and dad, they want to see what church means and what church fellowship means and what Christ actually means. This isn't a guilt trip. I'm just being honest. Where you work, people are watching. Are you dying to your flesh or are you just acting like the rest of them? You guys, I pray that we're all ready to die. We live in a lot of privilege here in this country, but I, I'm i guessing the generation before the Revolutionary War probably didn't know that the Revolutionary War was necessarily coming. I'm guessing the generation before the Civil War probably didn't know the Civil War was coming either. We have no idea what waits us around the corner here in this country. That's mm-hmm. so why I picked those two wars, because they're the two wars that took place here. We don't know what's around. I'm not being warm. <laughs> Hear me on this. I have no idea. I pray that we live in peace. I pray that we come back to Christ mm-hmm. as a nation. But we can't guarantee that. What I can guarantee is this, that God called me and called you Christian to walk out in faith the things that he has, to be a martyr every day and to die to yourself, and maybe someday to be a martyr in the sense that we understand it and die. Are you ready? If you're not willing to die to yourself now, do you think you're going to be ready when it comes time? I don't know. I know this. You're not going to do any of it without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You guys, Paul talks about this idea of dying daily. Flip over with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Man, if you guys knew where I was going to be, then you could do what I do and put little tabbies in your top of your Bible so you can just flip there. Super easy. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 30. says this, this is Paul speaking, obviously. He says this, why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? That was, by the way, he's talking about humans there, (laughs) people. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. And I say this to your shame. What was Paul getting at? He was talking to a bunch of people that were not dying to their flesh. And he was like, why exactly am I, Paul, and the people that are with me in constant danger every hour? Because I'm walking in the power of the Spirit. The obvious signs that you're not is that there's nothing happening around you. No one's really ticked off at you. There's nothing that's dangerous to you. Church, we are not in a lot of danger. I don't want us to be, but gosh, can we at least have somebody that doesn't like us because we're a Christian? For real. I'm not trying to be weird. I'm being honest. I got to speak to a voodoo priest. He wasn't my biggest fan. I loved him enough to talk Christ to him and tell him, man, I've been around voodoo. It's not cool. It's all about cursing and death. Is that what you're into? That sucks. I didn't yell at him like that. I was nice. (laughs) But I was honest with him. I'm like, man, Jesus is about blessing us. He loves us. Right? And he brought up hell, and I was like, that's a really good point. Do you know what hell's for? Hell was never designed for humanity, ever. Never, ever. It was designed for the fallen angels. <laughs> Satan and the demons are not going... I, I need you to hear this, y'all, especially you all younger ones, because I hear this a lot from different younger people, that they're like, man, when I go to hell, Satan's just going to be down there, and no demons, I'm going to be partying. <laughs> no, the demons are going to be as much pain and torment as you are. That's, that's the way it's going to be. Satan is not in hell right now running his army from there. They're not allowed in. The only demons that are there that we read about in Scripture currently at this moment were the ones that were having sex with women in the days of Noah and were put into the deepest level of hell in chains. They're the ones that are in that level of torment. The gates of hell are not wide open for all of us to go down yet. That's going to happen, right? At the judgment seat of Christ. And it's not just going to be the humans that didn't choose to follow Christ. It's going to be all the demons and Satan for a thousand years, and then he's going to be released. If you guys have never read Revelation, go read it. Mm -hmm. But we have this weird understanding of things. We have this weird lack of understanding of things. Because Christians, if we truly understood the level of power that our God has, but also I need you to hear this, the level of power that these fallen angels have over people's lives, we would be fighting a whole lot harder to see people come to the kingdom of Christ. Because I don't want my friends and my family, or to be honest, any human being I run into contact with to go to hell. I don't want that for them. And it's worth them not liking me for that. I mean, give me a break. I need you to hear this. I've said it a thousand times. I do not want us to walk around and tattoo Holy Bible on everybody's foreheads because we're like hammering it on their heads. And I don't want us to be a church that's walking around and telling everybody all their sins. Look, you got enough of your own. Deal with them. What I'm talking about is loving people enough to speak the truth in their life that Jesus Christ is what's changing my life. And it's the only thing I will ever hold on to because that's it for me. I am ride or die with Jesus. That's it. And if I'm wrong, I take the same dirt nap you do. But if I'm right, I know where I'm going, and I know I'm right. I know it in the deepest parts of my soul. And I have the Holy Spirit as the, as the evidence of that in my life. Amen. And I want that for you, and it's not hard. You're a loser like me. Get that in your head first. Listen, it, I've lived all over America. You don't have to tell people they're losers everywhere else in the world, but here in New England, you kind of do. Because <laughs> people are like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm all set. No, you're not, dude. You're a loser like the rest of us. Don't think so highly of yourself. Mm. I want you to hear something, though. Flip back over with me to the book of Acts. I held my Bible close. My wife always accuses me because she was sitting right up here the one time (laughs) and I was was doing this with my Bible and I almost hit her in the face. (laughs) I thought about it, so I held it close. To my heart. To my heart. You guys don't want... I want to read this again. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. This wasn't a suggestion from Jesus. Jesus wasn't being like, you know, if you guys like this, if this kind of works out for you, you know, I mean, there's, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. <laughs> but if you kind of like it, I mean, take it on a little test drive. No. No. I also want you to notice that it wasn't even a command. It was just a statement of fact. When the Holy Spirit falls on you in power, you will be witnesses. If you're here today and you're wondering why you're not witnesses, if you're here today and you're like, man, if I'm really being honest with myself and looking at the way I act at work or school or all around me, to the people around me, and if I really, really get honest with myself that I'm not doing that, We get the remedy right here, you guys. You're not walking in the power of the Spirit. And that, just like salvation, is easily remedied. God doesn't give us these hard, difficult things. He does it all for us, and he just says, accept it. Take it. Grab hold of it. It was a statement of fact, not just to the disciples either, you guys. It was to us. If you truly know Jesus, you will be a witness you will die to your flesh. You will glorify God with your life. You will not continue to walk in the shamefulness of a life that has nothing to do with who Jesus is in the way you live and in the way you speak to the world around you. You won't be perfect. None of us are. If we were, we wouldn't need Jesus. But your life will be changed. You'll walk differently. You'll talk differently. It really does, you guys, break my heart. So often, do you know what I run into more than anything? I actually appreciate the guy that was the voodoo priest a lot more than I appreciate a lot of people that I talk with that they're like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And I'm like, man, I I literally just heard you drop 70 F-bombs, a couple GDs, Right? Like, I heard what you were talking about and how you were down at the bar the other night just sitting behind me, and that's one of the reasons I went to talk to you about who Jesus was. And so, you're a Christian? Really? They don't line up. You're not showing anybody anything except the world around them. And they're like, <laughs> I already know it. That was me with a cuff. Here, let's do it again. <laughs> you guys, this is not a beatdown. It's not meant to be, but what it is meant to be is to examine our hearts. That's what God's word always wants us to do. It shines a light onto our heart. What is God doing in your life? Where are you at at your workplaces? Where are you at at school? Where are you at with the Lord? What does your life look like How drastic would it be for you to actually walk in in the power of the Spirit one day? Would it be so painfully, obviously different that everyone around you would be like, what has happened to you? Can I encourage you, if it would be, do it. Christian, if you are trying your best and you're doing a good job, but there's some areas that you gotta work out, submit them to the Holy Spirit and let God begin to work them out. I'm not acting like we're all a bunch of heathens and none of us are doing anything for the Lord. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm saying we're not done baking yet. We still have a lot of room to grow, me and you. Amen. All of us. We're never done. So this message never doesn't apply. And so if you walk up out of here and you're like, oh, what a jerk, I can't believe it. Well, you are full of pride. Deal with yourself. I'm not taking a blame for that. We've got a lot of work to do, guys. Verse 9. Where's he coming back to? We read it in Zechariah, the Mount of Olives. The guy was like, hey, man, he's coming back this way. But why do you keep staring <laughs> at nothing? So Jesus said what he needed to say, and then he bounced. He was out of there. He literally rose up. You guys, we read in Luke 24... Verse 50 and 51, it says that he led them out as far away as Bethany. I'm just going to read this to you. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and kept, was carried into heaven. So we get a little bit of a clearer picture from the gospel of Luke at the end. It's as he's going up, he's like, I bless you guys. God's got a plan for your life. We're gonna, you're going to see it. Just wait for the Holy Spirit. And as he's going up, he goes away and they're like, right? And I can imagine Peter being like, anything else? right? And they're all just staring up into space. And he slowly disappeared into this cloud. You guys, this cloud is the Shekinah glory. If you're, if you're coming on Wednesday nights or if you're following on the podcast on Wednesday nights or however you listen to the Wednesday night service, we're going through Exodus slowly. And guys, God's presence, it presented itself as a bright and shiny cloud, the Shekinah glory. It was the cloud that went before them. It was the cloud that would fall in the tabernacle on the Holy of, in the Holy of Holies on the mercy seat, right? It was this cloud, same cloud. It was God's presence that he was going up into and he just disappeared into it. And while the disciples were standing up there just amazed and dumbfounded, which I think I would be too, right? These guys came down. We don't know who. Who cares? We'll find out when we get to heaven. It was Joe and Bob. (laughs) Thus saith the Lord. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Forgive me, Lord. These two guys, and they're like, what are you still standing there? He's coming right back to where he was. Like, don't worry about it. Go and do what he's told you to do. And so let's keep reading and find out what they did. excuse me, and his brothers. So after they were told to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit, that's exactly what they did. They went back from the Mount of Olives to a house that was a little more than a half mile away. How do we know that? Sabbath day's journey was about a half mile away. That was all the further they were allowed to travel. So they went back to wherever they were staying, Right. Some people believe maybe Zebedee's house, possibly, because Zebedee was the family of Zebedee. John and James was more wealthy than a lot of them. We know that because we have archaeological evidence of multiple homes that they owned. So he's a fairly wealthy guy. It could have been that. Or maybe it was just some random house that we'll never know. It doesn't really matter. They went to this upper room. And I need us to get our head around what an upper room is, you guys. I want to explain it because you're going to keep coming across the upper room. How many people have heard of the upper room? We're going to talk about the upper room in chapter two, right? The same upper room that we're talking about today is that upper room. But this upper room in a Jewish house, it was built on the second floor of the house and a And this is one of the reasons we know that this house probably was on on the wealthier side of those who owned it because typically it was a single floor with a roof that you could dry things on and do things on and you had a hole in the top. That's how the the paralytic came down through. You remember that? Mm -hmm. Because they removed the thatch and put them down through it. But in a wealthier person's house, they would have the top or the bottom floor and it was a bunch of little rooms down there, bedrooms and a kitchen or whatever, you know what I mean? And so all these walls, right, like they were not like, today where we have structural walls and walls that aren't structural. Every wall was structural. It was built from the ground up. And so every one of these walls that made all these little rooms down below allowed the upper room to be a supported ceiling, basically, or a floor for the second floor, a very well-supported room. And what they would do is it would be wide open and they would build another roof on top of that. And that roof is where they dried it. So it was like a two-story house. But that upper room, they didn't divide up. It was just a big open room, and it was meant for wealthier people to be able to entertain and do different things. And so you guys, we're going to read in, in, in verse 15 next week that there's about 120 people in this room, in this upper room. So it's a, it's a lot of people, right? These houses were not huge. There's a lot of people up there, but this house could handle that because of this. And so I just wanted to explain that so you understand because, I don't know, Maybe some of you are like, how could that structurally work? I mean, I don't understand. Well, that's how. So I want you to know that there were 11 of the remaining disciples, and they were all named, you guys. And if you want to, you can uh, underline each one. I did the counting to make sure there were 11. There's 11 of them. And it says on top of that, the women. We read about a lot of different women, right? Mary Magdalene. We read at the tomb, there were at least four women and maybe more that were at the tomb, that went to the tomb and came back, right? There was all sorts of women. Obviously, Mary Magdalene is one that's named a lot, right? Mary, the mother of Jesus, is named a lot. But there were more women than just that. There was a bunch of people there. And also, we read about Jesus' brothers, which is interesting. If you guys know much about Jesus' brothers, they didn't believe in Jesus. They were going to hell until he died and rose again. They didn't believe. Not only they didn't believe, you guys, we know at least two of the brothers by name, but there was, Jesus had more than, at least he had sisters as well. We read that in another part. But he could have had more brothers than this, but we know of at least two. Do you know why we know two names? The book of Jude, that's Jesus' half-brother. The book of James, that wasn't James and John. James died very early on, right? No, James was the half-brother of Jesus. And if you read them, I love it because Jude and James are like punches in the face. (laughs) Y'all don't read it? Read it. It's a punch in the face, man. He's like, get on it. Stop it. Do better. (laughs) Right? As a matter of fact, James specifically, a lot of people are like, oh, well, Paul preached a different thing because Paul was preaching about grace in Romans. You know, no, look, here's the deal, man. They both taught the same thing. And both of them are equally true. And we're going to talk more about that. We just, read what, we just read what Jesus said. Jesus is like, hey, go back and wait because you're going to be witnesses. There's skin in the game for us to be witnesses. We've got to put forth some effort in the game. We've got to get on it, so to speak. But we don't do it accepting God's grace. They go together. So, James and Jude. Obviously, you guys, we know that they were not always believers. Flip over with me last set of verses that we're going to go to. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 7. This is when Jesus was beginning the process, right? He was kind of building a big hubbub around himself, and people were starting to get really ticked. And the Feast of Booths were coming up, and that's one of those feasts that, like, all the Jewish men had to go to. And Jesus, by the way, did go to it, even though he said it wasn't going to... We'll read it. He ended up showing up there, right? He was, he was faithful. He, he kept the law. But his brothers make this really openly mocking response to him. And I need you to hear this because when you read it, you don't see it, but it's actually there. If you read it in the Greek, it's kind of it's clear. It's just clear the way it's written that it's like they're being like very just like, oh, come on, man. So let's read. Chapter 7 of the Gospel of John, verse 1 says this. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee, and he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, notice that, if you do these things, in other words, I don't know if you actually are doing all the stuff you say you're doing and people say you're doing, but if you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. This was like open mocking. This is like Jesus, dude. You were such a goody-two-shoes when you were a kid. Ah! Now you say you're all that in a bag of chips. Show everybody then. That's what they were saying. Verse six says something profound, though. I didn't. It's not up here, so just listen. Jesus said to them, "My time has not yet come, but your time is always here." What's he saying? I know the plan that God has for my life, but you are not about what God has for you right now. You guys, it's obvious that when Jesus was walking around for these 40 days after he had resurrected himself, that I think at that point they're like, "Uh, yeah, you are who you said you were. (laughs) Like, kind of missed the boat. And they came to Christ. And by the way, they were martyred too. They took it seriously. We're told in verse 15, like I said, that there was around 120 people meeting together up there in prayer. And I want you to hear this. They were meeting in one accord. Not a Honda Accord. They were meeting of the same mind. They were all focused on the same thing. I want you to understand something. The power of this moment had less to do with the number of people that were in the room as it did with the fact that they were all praying in one accord. What does the Bible tell us? Where two or more are gathered, I'm there in your midst. It's not the number, you guys. It's the heart that you're doing it in. Do you want to know why I think the church is so anemic today? Because we don't pray in one accord very often. We just don't. I want us to also look at this. I'm, I'm dumping a lot of Greek on you guys today. I hope it's not too much, but there's so many interesting little points within this section that I find absolutely interesting. And that is in verse 14, it says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. This is one of the few places in all of scripture, specifically in the New Testament for sure, where there's an article before this. Do you know what that means? Here's how it actually reads in the Greek. It means this. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to the prayer. Together. The prayer. What prayer? What were they all in one accord about? They were praying for the Holy Spirit. Together. They're like, this is what Jesus told us to do. That's what we're going to do. And we are all in one accord. We are all aiming and, and, and getting at it and saying, yeah, bring it. And I need us to hear this, you guys. They were waiting on the Holy Spirit to come enter their lives. Church, I don't want to be some weird, wacko church. And, and listen, we are. My prayer is that we don't lose people, but I fear some people are going to be like, this Calvary Chapel's gone off the deep end. Then you don't understand the history of Calvary Chapel. I don't want emotionalism. But do you think Peter and these 120 that were up there wanted uh, little flames of fire to fall on them and everybody start chaotically crying out in different tongues? Do you think that's what they wanted? Do you think they, they felt good and in control of that, like in that moment? Probably not. It was different. Now, the book of Corinthians tells us that all things should be done in good order. But we've made that into something where good order means what I think is orderly. Now, the Bible makes it clear. If there's a tongue, we wait for an interpretation. If there is no interpretation, we don't scold the person that did it. We table it for the day and we say, okay, it's okay. It didn't, it's, it's cool. We're done with that for today. And that's okay. And I'm not acting like tongues is a thing. We know scripturally what is tongues? The lowest of all the gifts. Who cares? But we're too afraid of everything. We're heading into parts of scripture that I, I want us to just be an open church that says, Holy Spirit, come, have your way in us, move in us. Yeah. We will not be in one accord if we've got groups out there that are like, except don't do that, God, jeez We're not in one accord. Yeah. Why is the church so anemic today? Because there are too many people that don't want to do what God, what scares them, quite frankly. Are you afraid of God or are you afraid of what you might look like? I'm not afraid of God. Now, I have a healthy fear for God, but here's my fear for God. God, do what you want in me because you are far above me. So yeah, I have a fear of him. That puts my fear in check because whatever he chooses to do through me or in me is going to be something amazing and astounding and it's going to draw me to a deeper place of awe in him. Why would we be afraid of that? No, instead we choose our flesh over and over and we get afraid because I'm like, oh, I don't know, that might be weird. It is weird. You guys, I love that God's gifted me with a prayer language. I was praying it back there on the drums. If you ever see me doing this, that's usually because I'm talking in tongues on my own, underneath my breath. And I absolutely love that gift. It is so empowering to me. It's like the Holy Spirit is scrubbing you clean with a Brillo pad. Woo! Paul said in the word, Man, I wish that all of you would do this more than me. Again, I'm not, I'm not emphasizing this thing. I'm saying that's one of those things that here in New England, so many people are, on, are so afraid because they're like, It's weird. It is weird. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is speaking through you. <laughs> it shouldn't be normal. But you're also not out of control of it. Yeah. I'm not here doing it right now, am I? because it's done in good order. If the Lord gave me a word for us, I would speak it out loud so that all of us would hear it, and I would wait for an interpretation. And if that interpretation didn't come, you guys would be like, man, you suck, Pastor. And I'd be like, I missed it on that one. Sorry, guys. And we'd move on. For real. But you know what? God is so faithful that typically when he's giving one person a word, there's only been one time in my whole life that I've ever heard someone speak out in a tongue and there was no interpretation. One time. Out of many. I'm not acting like that's the thing. I need you to hear this. Don't be freaked out. But I do want us to be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do because I'm telling you this, you guys. If we're too afraid of what the Holy Spirit wants to do, then nothing will change. And I want to see change. I want to see revival. And it might get a little weird. Can I just encourage you? Pray for me and pray for the board as we manage that, just like you should be, right? Like when we watched the Jesus Revolution, it got a little weird in that, right? Like in real life, it got weird. And Chuck had to be like, stop. This is too far. It's too much. You're making a spectacle of yourself. And I've seen that too. But can we like open ourselves up to the fact that God actually wants to do something more than nothing? Nothing. In our lives, guys? I need us to also think about this. There's a lot of great questions that this text brings up for us. And here's one of the questions, you guys. Do you think that Jesus desired for this brand new church to receive the Holy Spirit in all of his power to fulfill the mission of the church then, but that it was a one-time thing and we're not really, we're still supposed to live off that power? No. The answer is no. It's for today. It's for us. I believe Jesus is saying this scripture to us. I need us to hear something else. Too often, Christians, we're too busy trying to die to the flesh, trying to be a better witness, right? We're giving it our all. We're like the engine that could. We're like, yeah, come on. Today, I'm not going to swear as much. Today, I'm not going to laugh at those dirty jokes at work. Today, I'm actually going to actually say something about Jesus to this person that keeps saying about all the bad things that are going on in their life. Today, I'm going to do this. Today, I'm going to do that. And the reality is you don't. Or if you do, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of power in it. Do you know why? Because you're lacking the power of the Holy Spirit. We put the cart before the horse. Why are we doing that? Because we're too afraid of what the Holy Spirit might do in us or through us. Flip the script. Jesus didn't tell everybody to get busy and get out there and that the Holy Spirit would randomly come. He said, wait, wait, wait for the Spirit. Wait for the power of the Spirit. And what did they do? They went and they waited. Now, we're going to read next week. I think they got a little crazy. They're like, we got something to deal with. <laughs> we do the same stuff. We're going to talk about that next week. But this week, I just wanted you to hear this. They went back and they waited. In one accord, they prayed, God, use my life. God, bring this Holy Spirit, this promised comforter, this guide, this this power, this dunamas, this dynamite that's going to explode out of me. I need it because I got nothing and you just left. You guys, the way we go about things is like a wimpy band geek trying to beat up the high school jock in their own power. Never going to happen. I was the wimpy band geek. You need a bigger power behind you. Mm. To keep the analogy more close to the Christ-centeredness, you need the bigger power in you. Yeah. The Holy Spirit needs to be in you. And listen, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit is in you. But do you understand that this overflowing of the Holy Spirit, this filling up the dynamite that happens, is, as we're saying, Holy Spirit, take me over. Take over me. Have me. You do what you want, God, in my life. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish anything of value for his kingdom, you guys. And the sad reality is that even here today, there are probably going to be believers in this church who are like, I'm all set. And it might have a hard thing to say for you, but I pray that as we go through this book of Acts, that our church begins to change. In the power of the Holy Spirit, that we begin to get a hold of the things that God has for us. And if you want to be all set, there are plenty of all set churches. Go find one. And that breaks my heart to say. But I need you to hear this too. There are also plenty of churches that are living in their emotion, and there's no real biblical basis for it all. We're not going to have that here. I want what God wants. But I think what he wants is way more radical than what we're experiencing at this moment as a church. So my heart is, I'm not going to ask you to say, yes, I'm with you. But if you are with me, will you join me in praying? Will you join me in being in one accord, you guys? 5.14 a.m. or p.m. We get together, we just pray every day. We keep praying, Ephesians 5.14, wake us up. Bring us to life. Holy Spirit, have your way in us. Move in us. Blow this place up. Do something amazing here, God. Change us. Quit being a coward and let your dead life go, guys. Quit being a wimpy band geek. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you, Lord, for everything that you're speaking to us through this book of Acts, God. Lord, for those that are here that maybe are just in their own hearts, uh, no, Lord, first I want to say this. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you, (laughs) oh, God. Oh, Lord. Would you help them to understand that, Jesus, you are it that they're not good enough to get to heaven on their own, Lord. And Lord, that there really is a place called heaven and there really is a place called hell. And these places are for real. And you will be in one of them. All of us will. And so, Lord, will you wake them up to see that? Father, will you, will you Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Put them in a place of faith, of, of understanding that, that they need you. God, I pray, Lord, that they wouldn't walk out of here and just keep going down the same path they're going down. But, God, that they would make a change today, Lord, that something real would change in their hearts today, Father. And if they want to come up and get prayer, Lord, if they want to grab the person next to them, Lord, if they just want to say on their own to you, God, I know that you died and rose again for me, Jesus, and I accept it. Please remove the sin from my life. Or Lord, even if they want to pray the prayer I prayed, I suck at this, will you help me? God, I pray for our church body right here, right now. And Lord, I'm asking God not for emotion. God, not just to be a football team that's all rowdyed up and punching each other in the heads and going crazy, God, and just getting all amped up to go out into this world and accomplish whatever. Because, God, we know in our own strength we're not going to get anything done. No, Lord, I pray instead, Father, that we would say, Holy Spirit, here I am, have me. Mm. Do as you will in my life. And God, I don't care if it's crazy, and I don't care if I don't understand it, but I'm open to it, Lord. Use me. Change me. And God, without love, none of this is ever worth anything. And so God, first and foremost, give me a heart of love for those around me. Help me to see clearly, Lord, that I need more of you and less of me. And God, I need to be a vessel for you. And God, I leak. I'm empty. I need you to refill me. God, would you make us a church that prays in one accord? Not praying with all the caveats of what we're not interested in, but God, just wide open to what you want to do. Have your way in us, I pray. Move in us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys, Thanks for listening to this message from Awaken Great Bay in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our church or need prayer for something in your life, connect with us at awakengreatbay.com.